The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Great crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and addressed them. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you, wishing to construct a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if there's enough for its completion? Otherwise, after laying the foundation and finding himself unable to finish the work, the onlooker should laugh at him and say, This one began to build, but did not have the resources to finish. Or what king, marching into battle, would not first sit down and decide whether, with 10,000 troops, he can successfully oppose another king advancing upon him with 20,000 troops? But if not, while he is still far away, he will send a delegation to ask for peace terms. In the same way, anyone of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. The Gospel of the Lord. At first glance, the gospel this weekend sounds of one of great contradiction if we base off our knowledge of God. You know, God, Jesus, uh, speaks a lot about the importance of loving God, loving neighbor, and all of a sudden he's talking about if you don't hate these people, then you can't follow me. And so just a, a real quick perspective because we know that Jesus can't contradict himself, that would be problematic. And so there has to be a truth statement, but there also has to be a clarification. When Jesus is saying this, is he, does he really authentically mean like, you must hate them with a passion and fire of a thousand sons, and like resent them and be bitter? Like, no. What he's saying is there has to become a priority of love in one's life. And so... We hear about this in other sections of the gospel when Jesus calls people and says, well, first let me, let me go and take care of my family. He says, no, actually you need to, you need to come now. Or let me go bury my parents. No, the dead will bury the dead. So Jesus does not necessarily mean here, you must hate them with a the fire and passion, blah, blah, blah. But instead there has to be a part of like the love of God has to be above the love of family or self or things of the world. So with that clarification, there's a, a theme I pray that we can walk through over the next four weeks. And the theme is this. What right looks like. Right being R-I-G-H-T. What the right thing to do looks like. And the first reality of that statement is that in order there to be a right thing to do, it means that there's a wrong thing to do. And in order to know whether there's a right or a wrong thing, there has to be some place of authority or truth or law. And in fact, we're actually going to look at all three of those levels. But the, the goal is for today uh, to build the foundation, to kind of just get the idea of like, what does this idea mean? What right looks like? Is there an authority that we can believe? Is there truth that we can trust? Uh, and are there laws that we need to follow? Next week, we'll be focused on all of the problems of what makes it hard to do the right thing. The third week is all of the hopes. What are the joys in doing it? And then the last week, the, the final week of September, 
is all the practicals of how we can implement this into our lives. So, if uh, for some reason you don't make it the next week, well, you'll find out today that's a problem. Or if you go somewhere else, you can always listen to the homily online. And if you don't want to listen to the homily, I won't know, so it's not a big deal. But what right looks like? Where does this idea come from? It actually uh, came from my sergeants at my basic military training uh, for chaplains. Our sergeants were so adamant about the fact that we knew what it looked like to do the right thing in the right way at the right time. And so it's, it went down to the most basic element of like formation. Like how to stand in formation and make like a right face, you know, or an about face. Like there's a right way and there's a wrong way. You know, if they say right face and turn left, that's wrong. Like that's inaccurate. That is in error. But they're so adamant about this because they knew that when we left them from the training, we got sent out to all of our units, that if we looked messed up, Whose fault was it? Theirs. And they knew all the other sergeants. And they're like, we do not want to be the ones who think that you look stupid. <laughs> so there's, a, there's a truly a self-motivation in there, making sure that we did not look like idiots. But there's facts that it's like, there's a right way and a wrong way. And so in the military, there were certain things that we had to study and learn and we had to hold to. And we agreed upon that by entering the military. Like we made an oath. We said, like, I swear to protect the, the country and the Constitution, all these elements. But within those pieces, like, we had documents. We had uh, army regulations. We had field manuals, right? So here's just, like, examples of a few of them. AR-165-1, Army Regulations for Religious Activity of Army Chaplain Corps Activities. Whew. Had to memorize that whole packet. I had forgotten it now. It's fine. FM 1-05 Field Manual, published by Headquarters, Department of the Army. That was really fun. Not. ATP 1-05 Army Techniques Publication, Religious Support and Casualty Care. And then ATP 1, ATP-05.1, .2, and .4, all addendums for this. And so the military, in its own structure, had a source of authority. There were people who created these documents, who created these regulations, who created these things, and we had to follow them. Oftentimes you might hear in the news about the Uniform Code of Military Justice, right? And people who follow that or don't follow that and are honorably discharged or dishonorably discharged. My point is that the military has an authoritative system. There's an authority to follow. Well, in the same way, the world has this. And let's just look at the United States specifically. We have a legislative, executive, and judicial branches of our government. And whether we agree with them or not, or like them or not, they are the source of authority for us. Well, the church has the exact same thing. The magisterium, right, is the teaching body made up of the college of bishops and cardinals. We have the catechism. We have apostolic tradition. We have sacred scripture, which is inerrant because it's God's word. So these are structures of authority. Now, we can either choose to accept these authorities— or we can choose to deny them. That's, that's an individual basis, but there's a, there's a reality that authority is real. It's not meant to be scary. It's not meant to be a bad thing, even though sometimes we, we choose to rebel against authority. But authority in its most basic, like, simple context is that a structure of, um, you know, teaching, methodology, that there's something for us to follow. Now, with authority, there has to be another fact, which is truth. And this is a little bit more complicated, and this is actually what really stirred a lot of uh, 
the, des- the, the thinking and the prompting for this. So um, last weekend, I was at my mom's house for my grandma's birthday. We had a great time. And I was with my family. Again, the majority of my family are not Catholic, do not go to church, have varying opinions of the world, and very, very different opinions on Catholic teachings. And so I was having a conversation with my uncle. I don't know how we got here, but all of a sudden we're talking about feminism and abortion. Interesting, sad conversation when you're eating, like, crackers, you know. But we got there. And he was just very adamant about, like, you know, I believe in the woman's right to make, make a choice. And I said, okay, Uncle Steve, I hear that, but what about this? And, and so, like, every comment he had, I had a, a question. Not, an, not a, like, uh, like a, an attack, but just a question for him to clarify. And it got to a point where like, I know I'm not going to like, win this battle with you. And I said, no, you're not. And I also said, I know that I'm not going to be able to change your heart in this conversation. He's like, well, I don't know. I was like, okay, there's hope. Good. <laughs> After that conversation, and we left it very, like, we left it very good. My mom was like, what were you talking about? It looks so intense. And I was like, we were just talking about abortion and stuff. She's like, what? That's not a big deal. Afterwards, as we were talking more, I said, well, do you think there's a problem with that? She said, well, you know, Jay, those are just your opinions. I was like, whoa, 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 mom, time out, time out. Mom, two plus two, what does that equal? Four. Okay, cool, good. Mom, is, is life, is life life? Is life, is life a good thing? Yeah. How do you know that? Because it's true. It's objectively true. Some authority somewhere decided, I don't know, again, uh, 2 plus 2 is 4. That's not really an authority. That's just a reality. But, like, life being good, like, that came from someone. That's an idea. And so, opinions are not inherently just that. And, and I told her, I said, Mom, my opinions are not opinions. Like, they are based in fact. But that's a problem because everyone wants to have an opinion. Everyone's like, well, my opinion is this. And my opinion is like, but, but our opinions have to be based in a truth, which have to be based in an authority. So that stemmed this whole idea. Opinions are not bad. Opinions can be wrong. But there's also a way to distinguish opinion from truth. So the opinion could be, I'm not going to get into sports because I know there's a lot of games last night. So we're going to use this example. The 1968 Mustang is the best car in the world. That's an opinion. Someone out there might like Corvette. I don't know. That's, that's not a fact. But to say, like, I own a 1968 Mustang, that's an objective truth. I personally do not own a 1968 Mustang. It's just the example. So there's truths and there's opinions. The issue is that with opinions, we've, we've gotten into a place of emotion. And so one of our professors in the seminary, he was really good about this. He really helped us, like, develop dialogue and conversations, especially debating uh, and discussion more than anything, not so much debate to discussion. And he said this very early on, like our first class. If you use this phrase in a conversation, I feel, you have just murdered the conversation. I was like, okay, strong language. What does he mean by that? If I say I feel... I've essentially ended the opportunity to have any further discussion or dialogue because I cannot argue a person's feelings. I cannot argue a person's emotions. Like, those are their own things. Whether they're, they're accurate or not, I don't know, but those, that's the reality. 
And so to say the things such as, I think, one, keeps us in a place of rationalness, but also allows there to be a discussion, I think this. And guess what? My thinking can be flawed. My thinking can be wrong. But that has to go back to the fact that there is a truth, and I could be in error, and there's an authority that I choose to follow or not follow. So when it gets to the church, and it gets to the teachings of the church, we have to either agree, yes or no, that there is an authority. And the first authority is always going to be God. And so now we have to ask a question, is God real? And if he's real, what does he stand? What does he mean? What is, what is all this stuff we read about? So we have to accept or deny the truth that Scripture speaks truth. And it speaks it objectively. Not in such a way that's like, well, I can like, discern how I want to decide, like, define this. Like, no, like, it's right or it's wrong. And so this is where we get into like, the third piece. Authority, uh, truth, and now laws. We have civil laws we all have to follow. Again, we may like them. We may not like them. I don't think jaywalking is a very fair law because I'm always in error. <laughs> Just making sure you're still awake. Okay. So there's civil laws that exist. There's also natural laws. And there's divine laws. So this is my example I used yesterday. Civil law, drinking age, very subjective. United States has a certain limit. Europe has a certain limit. Other parts of the world have no limits. Okay, why does that exist? I don't know. I didn't make that law. But it's a civil law. We have to follow it legally. Okay. But it varies. So that's a subjective thing. It's not an objective, like, this is it, law, truth. Okay. Natural law would say that I care about my life. Like, that's a natural law that should be inherently in all of us. Like, that life is good, that life should be preserved. And so to, dr to drive drunk or to do things in a drunken state would risk the livelihood of my life. That goes against natural law. Now, the third example is divine law. God would say that the gift of our humanity is to have a rational will, to use our reason. To be drunk loses our rational will, loses our ability to reason, and loses our ability to function in a proper way. And so drunkenness is a sin because it goes against uh, how we were designed and created. Civil law, very, very subjective. Natural law, pretty universally accepted. Divine law is where we get into, like, the rights and the wrongs. And so when we have the Ten Commandments in Scripture, and God lays out for us, and Jesus reaffirms this and says, I did not come to abolish this, but I came to reaffirm it. He says, to love God above all others is the first thing we have to do. And he says that, like, love God and then love your neighbor as yourself, or love your neighbor as me. It means that we can't have idols. We can't allow ourselves to fall into, you know, the seeking of, of money and fame and power and greed ahead of God. That's problematic, potentially even sinful. That to not go to Mass on Sunday when I'm obliged to go to Mass every week is actually grave matter and sinful and danger for my sin, like danger for my soul. That to kill people is bad. But that's also associated with natural law and civil law. So you see, some things like line up really nicely. Here's the thing. As humans, in our brokenness, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to mess up, we're going to not always follow these. Um, but to see, one, law as not a restriction, 
but as a way to have freedom, to know that truth allows me to stay in that place of freedom, and that authority has given me that guidance to say yes to all of these is, is like the basic uh, element we have to, to begin with. And what God gives us as Christians so beautifully is the gift to seek forgiveness and healing when we've made error. The world, when we make error, isn't as likely to do that. You mess up, you go to jail. You mess up, you have these consequences. Like, I mess up in my, in my soul, yes, there's consequences, there's danger I have to be aware of. But I can always go back to confession. I can always be forgiven as long as I seek that, as long as I want that. I wanted to reiterate something that uh, was said during my installation as pastor. Uh, when I made the oath of fidelity, I placed my hands on the book of the Gospels, and I, I uh, gave out one, two, three, four, five, six statements. I'm just going to say three again. In fulfilling the charge entrusted to me in the name of the church, I shall hold fast to the deposit of faith in its entirety. I shall faithfully hand it on and explain it, and I shall avoid any teachings contrary to it. And so when I'm up here and I'm speaking this, like, well, Father, that's just your opinion, that's just the truth. Like, no, this is objective truth. Like, I'm not going to do something contrary to that. Once you get to know me really well, I'm a severe rule follower. Except when it, I can, like, bend it, so, you know. <laughs> or there's, like, pastoral, like, freedom to do stuff. Like, ah, we can do that, it's okay. But that's because some things are not inherently, like, stuck in, like, right or wrong. Like, there's flexibility. Anyway. I shall follow and foster the common discipline of the entire church, and I shall maintain the observance of all ecclesiastical laws, especially those contained in the Code of Canon Law. Now, this is a catechism, but the Code of Canon Law is equally thick, right? A lot of stuff in there. And then lastly, with Christian obedience, which is, I think, the hard one for a lot of us. Obedience can be really tough sometimes. I shall follow what the bishops as authentic doctors and teachers of the faith declare, or what they as those who govern the church establish. And so, again, this sense of authority we're called to follow, not to be restricted or chained or, or imprisoned, but to have freedom, because truth leads us to freedom, because these laws are based in truth. So now, we take that, we look at the very, very, very first lines of the catechism. Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. God our Savior desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. This one, no, one, two, three sentences are all three scripture references. So we have this fact of, of, of scripture, we have the fact of the magisterium, we have the fact of the, of the of, uh, apostolic tradition. Um, we've seen that there are authorities in all these different structures, that truth is a, a real objective thing that needs to be sought out because these laws that we have either civilly or naturally or divinely from God um, give us guidance. And so with all of this, again, knowing that there will be challenges, and we'll talk about those, but there's also hopes. We're going to talk about that. And there's practical elements, which we'll talk about, I just want to leave us with this, this final piece. This is an article I found online uh, regarding uh, objective truth. And the, the gentleman who wrote this, not Christian, not any background, just philosopher. And this is what he said. He said, in short, facts and opinions are different. Objective truth is the opposite of subjective opinion. 
People may argue over whether a particular statement is objective or subjective. And if it is objective, meaning that like, it is what it is, there's no debate about it, they will may argue whether or not it is true. But no matter what, it is impossible to escape the fact that objective truth does exist. At one time, this is the part that got me, at one time, the job of the Christian was to demonstrate the truthfulness of the biblical claims. Now, his job has been made more difficult because before talking about the truth of the Bible, the Christian must often convince the listener that truth actually exists, especially touching religious claims. And this is what I, I hear so often with people. Well, that's, that's your truth. That's your opinion. And I say, no, this is objective fact. Now, you can choose to follow this or not. You can choose to uh, accept or deny, but, but these things are not going to change. There's a few points in Scripture that reiterate that. In the Psalms, uh, it says, Teach me thy way, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth until my heart, unite my heart to fear thy name. Like, that God gives us truth. Jesus, speaking to Thomas, says this in John's Gospel, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And then the end of Matthew's Gospel, before uh, the, the final commissioning, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Jesus promises these things to us. God promises these things to us. These are facts and truths. Now, we can say, well, I don't really believe in God. I don't believe in this, this faith in this church. But the fact is, do we believe in truth? And so philosophy is such a helpful tool because Philosophy highlights the fact that there can be and there is truth. And whether I agree with and I like the authority figures around me, there is truth. And if I, if I struggle to identify truth, I at least know that by natural law, the innate law that was instilled in me by my existence as a human, I know certain things to be true. So rules, regulations, policies, they all help to shape our lives and our daily interactions. And yet some of them are very, very subjective and some of them, how they are implemented, are very, very subjective. But some are very, very finite. When we make our own rules, we risk the idea of becoming our own gods. And we risk the idea of becoming idols. And some just, they don't ever question this idea. They just, they blindly follow it. And that's, that's not ideal either. We, want, we need to question to the point that we learn and we grow that, so that we can have these conversations. So that, like with my uncle, I can stand there and be like, uncle, I love you. You're, you're a good human being, but you are in error in that statement. And we have to be able to call each other out and like have difficult conversations that might lead someone to feel a little upset or sad, but guess what? It's not because we don't like them. It's because we love them so much that we need them to know the truth. That we care about their soul so much that to, to risk them walking away from us angry is because then they can know what truth looks like and make the right choices in the future. There's a lot to unpack, which is why I broke this down into four weeks, because if I kept going, we'd be here all day. But today was hopefully to lay a foundation. And if, you're, if there's a struggle, if there's a difficulty, it's, it's just to do these, these things afterwards. First of all, contemplate, do I believe that authority is a real thing? Whether I like it or not, is, is, does, does authority exist? 
Again, I demonstrated that in the military, in the United States, and in the church, that there are authorities. Now, you have to come to that decision. Next, can and is there objective truth? I've demonstrated that, but, but one has to accept that. And how does objective truth differ from subjective opinion? And then lastly, divine laws instituted by God, natural laws instituted by our existence, and then civil laws instituted by those authorities. How do I square with them? Where do I find resistance or friction? And, and what can I accept or deny? If we can't get to this first layer, the next are going to be really difficult. So if there's uh, struggles, if there's debates, if there's aggravation, frustration, uh, please come talk to me. I'd be happy to have that conversation and listen. But these are the things we have to square away first is like, is there authority? Is there objective truth? Is there divine, natural, and civil law? And how do they impact my life? How do they affect what I do? At the end of the day, the church is not meant to be a place of like, great burden and frustration and difficulty. Like, oh, the church has all these rules. I can't do anything fun. No, the church is a place of great freedom. And there are things that are right, and there are things that are wrong. And being your pastor, like, I want you to know what right looks like. So when you go out in the world, you're not all jacked up. Because I love you, and I want your souls to be in heaven. But that might mean, like, we have to correct certain things. That's okay, because the Lord's going to give us graces to do that. So authority, truth, law. Can we get our, our, our heads around that? Next week, talking about, again, some of the additional problems and difficulties. Following week, talking about the hopes and the opportunities. And then lastly, the practical, like, living out what right looks like.